My hope is that through our time in the Word, we'd be moved to worship the Lord, that we'd be so impacted by what we read in the Scriptures today that praise and worship would pour forth, that He would be magnified and lifted up above any other thing and anyone else. If we haven't met, my name's Dustin, let me extend uh, welcome to you. If uh, you're new, if this is your first time, or if you're an old timer in regard to the time you've been a part of our church family, um, welcome. We're in the second week of our series on the minor prophets and in the Old Testament, and they're not called minor because they or their message is somehow not as important, but simply due to the length of their books, they're all relatively short, hence the title Minor. And so you're welcome to follow along with us in the book of Amos is where we'll be. You can scan the QR code if you'd like, uh, or just grab a hard copy around you. Let me throw a scenario at you this morning. What would you do if someone you know was dying and they didn't know it? Maybe you found out from uh, the doctor before they knew and you're faced with the reality that someone you know is dying, but they don't know it yet. Maybe worse, they're dying because of their own lifestyle and actions. And so add that to the scenario that they're dying, they don't know it, and they're dying because of their own lifestyle and actions. And maybe even worse, they're, they actually think they're doing great and in no danger whatsoever. When in reality, the clock is ticking. It's a quarter till midnight for them. How would you handle it? They're on the doorstep of death. Would you just kind of keep quiet and hope they find out some other way? Like, surely I'm not the only one that knows. Maybe someone else will tell them and you'll just kind of hold that in. Maybe you would love them enough to tell them, even though it'd be an incredibly difficult conversation, right? Not just, hey, you're dying, but you're dying because of your own lifestyle and actions. That'd be an awkward conversation. Would you push through it because of your great love for them? Well, that's the scenario Amos was faced with regarding God's people. And Amos just couldn't stand by anymore. He couldn't stand by any longer in silence. God called him to speak the truth to the people of God, to tell them of their sin, to tell them of their rebellion, their impending destruction, lest they repent, turn from sin back to God. That's one of the main messages of the prophets. Adam showed us last week as we started this series, the prophets' messages were really about the big three. And so as we work through this series, we'll come back to this. The big three of the prophets' messages. Number one, accusation. In other words, here's what you've done wrong that runs contrary to God and His character. Number two, repentance. Calling God's people to turn from their sin that He just accused them of. So, accusation, number one. Repentance, second. And number uh, three, warning. A warning. Judgment is coming if you don't repent, and that's often articulated by 
using the phrase, the day of the Lord. A little bit of context as we jump into these Old Testament minor prophets. It's important to remember some of the context. During Amos's time, the people of Israel are split into two kingdoms, right? You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and that's where Jerusalem is, is in the southern kingdom of Judah. Each kingdom has a king at this point, Jeroboam II in the north of Israel and Uzziah in the south of Judah. Both kingdoms are experiencing a time of prosperity and wealth. This is important. It's important to remember that as we get into that. Both kingdoms are experiencing a time of prosperity and wealth, which will lead to some of the problems that Amos is going to bring before the people of both kingdoms. Well, next, we have to get a little bit of context as to who Amos is. Amos is from the southern kingdom, Judah, and he's going to take his message to the northern kingdom. And he's not a what we would call a professional prophet, as some of God's prophets were. He's just a jag. And if you follow sports commentary shows, you may recognize the label of jag. But if you don't, that takes, that takes some explanation. A jag is a professional athlete who's not really anything special. That's how you'd refer to a professional athlete who's not really anything special. Think of it as opposite of the goat, the greatest of all time. The opposite of the goat would be a jag. Not the jag, even just a jag. Here's what jag stands for, just a guy. And so... If you're listening to sports commentary, they'll refer to, again, a guy that's nothing special as a jag. And that's really who Amos is. He was just a guy. His regular profession wasn't anything special either. The scriptures say he was a shepherd and tended some fig trees. That's Amos. Shepherd. Tended some fig trees. It doesn't even say that he tended a fig tree orchard. Just some fig trees. He talks like a common man, uses analogies that maybe a trained professional may not use. For instance, the first scripture we'll read, Amos chapter 4, verse 1. This gives you an idea of who he is. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. And spoiler, he's not actually talking about cows and he's not speaking to cows. He's speaking about the women of Israel. (laughs) And you may think, well, maybe that means something different in another culture. Probably not. I just began to try to think of, do I know a culture where it would be a compliment to call the women of that culture cows? Probably not. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. It's pretty edgy, which of course is actually pretty common among the prophets. They say it like it is. Are you intrigued by Amos yet? What he might have for us? Ready for some more? 
Again, we get this feeling that Amos, this jag, just couldn't stand by any longer in silence. The Lord had given him a message for the people of God, one of accusation, one of repentance, and one of warning. Let's get into it. Nine chapters, and obviously we'll just hit some highlights here and read some scriptures specifically. We won't read any of these, but just to give you a feel of the layout, Amos starts his work, chapter 1, through the beginning of chapter 2, in accusation against the surrounding nations, the peoples around God's people, the ones that lived around them. Amos is laying it on heavy toward all those around Israel. And if you were to look at a map, it's literally about a circle all around the people of God. And he's laying on the accusation heavy. And I can just imagine God's people going, yes, you tell them, Amos. Because some of these would have been enemies of God's people. And you can just imagine the people of God going, man, I like this Amos. He really tells it like it is to the enemies of God's people. Preach it, Amos. Man, I love this guy. Then, in chapters 2 through 4, he gets to accusations toward God's people. And then I imagine the people are like, oh, yeah, I don't like Amos very much. Yeah, Amos, why don't you sit down in the front? We're not sure we like your message after all. Not even sure we like you. Here are some highlights of these accusations against God's people. We have some repeated phrases to kind of give you an overall kind of idea of what Amos is saying to God's people in accusation. Chapter 2, there's a repeated phrase, it was I, and this is the Lord speaking to God's people, to his people. He says, it was I who destroyed your enemies. It was I who actually delivered you. It was I who led you. It was I who raised up prophets and leaders among you. God is pointing back to himself and saying, you may have forgotten, but it was I. I have been your deliverer. And then in chapter four, this phrase is repeated five times. And so when you're looking at the scriptures or really any literary work and you're trying to get the main point, you're looking for repeated phrases, repeated themes. And this one repeated five times in chapter four, God says, but you did not return to me. 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 It was I who did this. I am your God. But you still did not return to me. And then we get this in chapter 4. This one be on the screen for you. Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Well, who is he? Who is this God that they did not return to? These verses are powerful here. Verse 12, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind. And what a great visual for us, right? And as this winter storm comes in, we look up at the mountains, if you can see them. And like, that's the God, the God we're talking about, the God who created those mountains. And then our... Um, 
our door that goes into our garage, not the big garage door, but the door that goes into the garage um, night before last, uh, it's having trouble latching and it kept like blowing open all night long. And so the wind was coming through the small cracks in the big garage door and kept blowing that door open. The God that creates the wind, that God, and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. That's the God. And maybe some of us today need to be reminded of who he is. The awe, the beauty of who this God is. Well, after that, the middle of the book, right? Literally in the middle of the book, a solution is given. So through Amos, God lays all these accusations and calls to repentance before them. And verse five, a solution is, I mean, chapter five, a solution is given. See, Amos doesn't just include what they shouldn't do or accusation, but what they should do. Chapter five, verse four. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel. Do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. And we come back to that phrase, seek me and live. Look just a little further in chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to get a similar phrase with just a little bit of difference. Chapter 5, verse 14. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So first in chapter 5, and we're looking right here at the middle of this book, what's a solution? Well, seek God and live. Seek good. Hate evil. Act justly. And I wonder if we can see the connection between these two phrases. Those who seek God will also seek the good of those around them. Get this, regardless of class, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of race, etc. See, their prosperity had led them to disregarding the poor and the needy around them. If you take some time this week and read Amos in its entirety, you'll see that. So wrapped up in their own world, in their own stuff, in their own prosperity, that they completely missed those around them in need. And I would ask, is this message just an old, outdated, stale message for the people of God way back then? Or is this a message here for us in 2024 as well? In this country as well? I would go with the latter than the former. Well, then God gives Amos a number of visions. And these, I, we, we just don't have time to read all of them here. 
go back this week and read some of these visions that God gives Amos. We'll read a couple of them, a couple of these visions that portray what the Lord is going to do to his people in judgment if they don't repent. And these visions are in chapter 7 and 8, but let's just read a few of these. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Um, just to break things up a bit, I'm going to have you guys read this with a couple of people around you. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Someone around you will read these out loud. And pay attention to the vision, what the Lord is going to do in judgment, and then the role that prayer plays in that. So ready, go. Verses 1 through 6. This is an amazing section of verses. As I read through Amos, I just couldn't skip over this part. I couldn't leave this out in our survey this morning of Amos. Did you see there, the first vision was one of locusts that was going to devour the crops of the land. That was what was going to happen. And Amos cries out, Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Talking about the, the size of the people of Israel being seemingly insignificant. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. The second vision was one of fire. One that ravaged the land in fire. And again, Amos says, oh, Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Verse six, the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be said the Lord God. Do you think your prayers don't really matter or can't affect anything? I think Amos would have some insights into this. It is indeed a mystery how a sovereign and omnipotent God chooses to use our prayers in His divine plan. Yes, a mystery. But it is awfully difficult to try to argue that our prayers don't really have any effect on the outcome of God's will. Again, just ask Amos, if our prayers really matter or hold any power or significance at all. Amazing. Maybe you let that bake a little bit today. 
and see what then comes out of the oven as it pertains to our prayer lives, especially what petitions we bring before the Lord. Well, chapter 9 is the dark and ominous crescendo. God's pending judgment on His people has hit a fever pitch. And so look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 4 here. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and He said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there my hand shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, which was a mountain there in the area, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Amen. Let's pray and be dismissed. It's dark, right? It's dark. And we think, well, what now? Is this how the book of Amos will end? Will will it end on this note? Again, is this where Dustin just wraps things up and tries to find something to pray about communion and tie in the gospel? Thankfully, that's not where things end here in Amos' work. Chapter 9, verse 11 through verse 15. There's some hope here at the end. And I love this. I love this section of Scripture. Let's read this together. Chapter 9, verse 11. The Lord speaking here, In that day I will, what? Raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches. When you think booth, think tent, think house, think tent. The house of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So the house of David, God's people are going to be raised up and rebuilt, but not just the house of David, not just the Israelites. It says, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Verse 13, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And I really had to dig into that this week since we're not really an agricultural culture at this point. Um, What does that mean that the plowman will overtake the reaper? It means that the two seasons of harvest and planting are running together, that the reaper is still reaping. He's still reaping the fruit 
while it's time for the plow to start plowing again. That's a sign of an abundant harvest. And the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. Same analogy there. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will, what? what's the next word? Restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. That's God replenishing them. It's God renewing them, sustaining for them, providing for them. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So this blessing that Amos is foretelling through the Lord, this blessing will come from the tent or the house of David. There's important lineage there, right? All the nations, all the nations who are called by my name, that alludes to salvation being available to all. Then this language, this imagery is stark. Raise up. Rebuild. Restore. Replenish. I like those words. And the beauty of this passage is that all of this would eventually come through the Christ, right? All of this would eventually come through Jesus, the Messiah, born in the line of David, offering salvation to all who would believe that in Christ we might be raised up, rebuilt, restored, and replenished, sustained, provided for. Oh, the goodness of God toward people who don't deserve it. Right, we could say that about what we've just seen in Amos, right? All of the accusation, all of the lack of repentance, right? The Lord saying, it was I, here I am. I am the God, but yet you did not return to me. But yet you did not return to me. The goodness of God towards sinners who deserve His judgment. And He leaves them with the promise of blessing. That's gospel, right? That's good news. In our lives today, may we heed the warnings that Amos lays out. May we hear God's call toward repentance in our lives. And may we be found in Christ on that great day of the Lord when judgment is rolled out before us. May we be found in Christ, right? On that day and today, may we celebrate the innocent Savior King who laid down His life for the rebels that we might have life in His name through the resurrection. May we be moved to praise and worship of Him by His Spirit and by His Word this morning, just in the short time we've spent in this book of Amos. Let's go to Him in prayer. We're going to enter a few moments here into a time of song, into worship through prayer.
and through praise. We're going to have an opportunity to take communion where we really are able to reflect on God's glory and grace bestowed on us through Christ to us sinners, rebels who don't deserve it. We'll have opportunity to sing of that, to sing of the greatness of our God, the gratitude that we should have for Him, to Him, for what He's done, for who He is and what He's done. That we might look at the words that were written so long ago that the Lord gave through this guy, Amos, who was just a guy. That we might see, God, your grace and your blessing foretold so many years ago. And see that reflected, Jesus, on what you offer us. We thank you, Jesus, that in the gospel that we can experience a, a renewal, rebuilding, replenishment, refreshing. And not just at one point when we initially accept the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us, but today we thank you for the freshness of the gospel even today. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken, your blood shed as we take communion together. We thank you that we can sing, we can lift up our voices in thanksgiving and gratitude for who you are and what you've done for us. We love you. We pray these things in your name alone. Amen.